G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. Home was my safe place and my parents around that time separated and I went off to live with my dad and I got saved at that time as well. And I remember coming back home after living with my dad for a year and a half and my mum was very different and we'd come from a very conservative and legalistic kind of church background and she was living the life up. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, usually we hear stories about children becoming rebellious in their teenage years and then their parents pray for them for years to turn their lives around. Well, today and for the next couple of programs, we're going to pretty much hear the reverse. Chris Brown was 15 years old when his mother kind of went off the rails and into a party lifestyle. Meanwhile, he felt called to serve in ministry and prayed for years for his mother. Thankfully, the Lord worked in both of their lives and they are now both serving the Lord in extraordinary ways. We'll hear both of their stories starting today with Chris and then his mother, Robin, will share her story. Chris Brown's having a chat with Eric Scatterbo. Chris Brown, welcome to the program. Yeah, great. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be with you. Glad to have you with us. And where are you joining us from today? From Perth, Western Australia. Okay. Well, the first question that comes to my mind when hearing about your story is, what was it like being 15 years old? Well, I mean, that's a confusing time of life in general. And then all of a sudden, your mother kind of going off the rails. Yeah, it was very different for me because I was, you know, Home was my safe place and my parents around that time separated and I went off to live with my dad and I I got saved at that time as well. And I remember coming back home after living with my dad for a year and a half and my mum was very different and we'd come from a very, you know, conservative and legalistic kind of church background and Mm -hmm. she was living the life up. And I remember one night, a funny story, I'd, I'd actually that night being baptized in the Holy Spirit and I I came home and I was just so fired up (laughs) and so excited about my faith and what just happened to me, this amazing experience. And, and my mum's lying in bed and she's sick. And uh, I don't know what kind of day she'd had or why she was sick, but she was really ill. And I said, mum, I'll pray for you. And she said, okay, that will be good. And so then I, I burst out praying in tongues and I was like, going for it, really praying for her. And almost immediately she said, that's okay, Chris, I'm, I'm feeling better now. You can stop praying. <laughs> kind of like, so, like, like you just, know, just get was, away from me, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't need that kind of uh, prayer. So it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting experience. And I, I tried to share about the Lord with her and, and encourage her to, to come to church. And But, yeah, she wasn't interested. And, in fact, she had gone down a, a choice of not believing in God anymore. She was she decided to be an atheist and she was going to live her life as she wanted to live it. 
Yeah, yeah. Of course, we're going to hear more about her side of the story, but today we're going to kind of hear your perspective. And boy, that is so strange that you're going one way, you're on fire for the Lord, and she's going the exact opposite way. And uh, well, you mentioned that your background was in a bit of a legalistic church. Well, at this point, let's go back and find out what led up to this experience. What kind of home life did you have before that? And where were you born and raised? Yeah, I was born in Sydney in New South Wales and Mm -hmm. um, spent about seven years there. Then we moved to Tassie for about five years and we moved around a lot. I went to five or six different primary schools while my parents were trying to get their marriage restarted. And it was terrible as a kid because I was always the the new kid in school. And Mm -hmm. um, I remember even down in Tasmania, coming from the mainland was even worse. You know, like you were an alien if you were coming from the mainland. Oh, wow. I found it very difficult in school, uh, always bullied. My brother and I both bullied a lot. And, uh, you know, home was the only really safe place where we, we didn't get picked on or beat up or teased. And and so, you know, it was for me a very uh, difficult time when I was around 14, 15 years of age and my parents sat us down and in the lounge room. I can still picture it in my mind. And they said that we no longer love each other and, you know, we're going to separate our, our relationship and hmm. you know that was a very distressing time for me and I, yeah. I was very depressed um you know thought about ending it all and I, I really didn't do well at that time and praise god that time when Leighton Ford came to Perth Billy Graham's uh, brother-in-law and, and held a crusade in the city and mm-hmm. I remember being invited by a, a youth group by one of my friends at school to, to go along and the first night I went and I was so touched by the message that I wanted to go forward, so I said to my friend who was sitting next to me, would you, you know, give me some moral support? Would you come down the front with me? And he said, I'm not going down the front. <laughs> <laughs> so I was too scared to go on my own, so I went home that night and I, I didn't make a commitment and I was so distressed all night I couldn't sleep and I, I actually made my own way there the next day and uh I was the first one down the front that evening. You know, I really wanted to make that commitment. And mm-hmm. and uh, my life turned around from that point on. You know, I, I had this great joy and, and delight in having met Jesus because I before I'd known about him and I'd had this great moral, legalistic background. You know, I knew what it was to, to live a good life, but I, I had no understanding of faith and, and what it meant to have a saviour die for me. I just didn't understand that. And yeah. And having that revelations, you know, it was wonderful. Let's back up a little bit. So growing up, you were raised in a Christian church, a Christian family, but it was more good ethics without really knowing why you were doing it. Would that kind of sum up your experience? Yeah, it was It was like um, you do this because you have to do it. And uh, there wasn't an understanding of the grace of God and, and how my sins had really been, you know, paid for by the blood of Jesus, I felt like I I had to perform to be acceptable to God. So that meant you had good ethics, but not necessarily an understanding of why you're living a moral life. Yeah, I remember really standing up for moral things at school and, you know, even getting teased for it and bullied because, you know, I was this Christian guy standing up for for God, but I I had no understanding about my faith. You know, Mm, I just understood that it was a good thing, but I didn't know why it was a good thing. But then, as you explained, you put your faith in Jesus, and now you had 
a vibrant living relationship with the Lord, and out of that flowed your ethics and morality. Yeah, so it kept me safe, I guess, in Mm -hmm. that time when my parents were struggling and we weren't going to church. There was a period of about three, four years where we we didn't go to church at all when we moved to Western Australia. And during that time, I think that, that strong moral and ethical background kept me safe from alcohol and cigarettes and the things that were going on at school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I managed to, to keep clear of most of that until Jesus saved me. And then after that, I, you know, I had the best of both worlds. I had a strong ethical background and also the, the love of Christ in my heart. So. Mm-hmm. And then your faith even grew to the point of wanting to get involved in ministry. How did that come about? Yeah, well, pretty much after I got saved at 15, my pastor took me aside and with about five or six other young people and he he, he discipled us for a year, which was great. We would meet once a week and mm-hmm. he saw something in me and asked me to take over, you know, the youth ministry. So it's quite a, a young person. I started in youth ministry, leading the young people and, uh, that was a very exciting time for me. I remember going into university as a 17-year-old and, uh, yeah, just being so excited about uh, living for Jesus. So half the time when I was supposed to be studying, I was out on the streets, you know, hanging out with people, working with chaplains in schools. And, you know, I didn't do so well at my studies because I was so involved in <laughs> just winning people for Jesus. Wow, you're on fire. Yeah, it was an exciting time in my life. Yeah, I'm just, uh, it keeps coming back to my mind, the contrast. You're just getting more and more on fire. And meanwhile, your very conservative mother or formerly very conservative mother is going the exact opposite way. Yeah, and it it was at times, um, you know, sometimes with my brother and with her, there was conflict because, you know, I was wanting to share with them about Jesus and talk to them about my faith and, you know, discuss their behavior, you know, hmm. in, a, in a way as lovingly as I could. But I, I do seem to recall being probably a bit arrogant and uh, probably a bit too forthright in the way hmm. I spoke to them and so probably created some some pain in them and uh, some desire to not really spend time with me in my convictions at that hmm. in that period. But nonetheless, you began to grow and felt a calling into ministry? Yeah, I was at university and uh, involved in the Christian group at the university. And many people there kept telling me, Chris, you should be in missions. And I had this plan, you know, I I wasn't going to do that. I was going to be a teacher and be a a Christian role model to these young kids in schools where Mm -hmm. there weren't many male Christian role models. And so I I had it all worked out. And I remember one day I was listening to a, a Christian singer sing and at a concert at a church. And God just told me, Chris, I want you to, to go outside. And and so, you know, I eventually was obedient, went outside and lay down under the stars. And I just felt overwhelmingly emotional. And, and I just felt God's presence so strong. And out of my mouth came this, this statement, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours and I'll do it. And I remember after that time, uh, I was in my room just uh, having a, a devotional time with the Lord. And he said, Chris, I want you to be a missionary. And I was like, God, don't do this to me. I'm going to have to go and tell everyone now. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, I couldn't ignore what he was saying to mm-hmm. me. And uh, so I'd made that commitment, that pledge, you know, just in the, the previous months. So I went back to uni and, 
I told everyone that, you know, God's spoken to me that, you know, this is the plan. And I'm actually, uh, I gave up my university degree and uh, left uni and began to prepare to be a missionary. I, I worked and earned money so that I had some savings to pay for what was going to come. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Chris Brown in Perth, who's sharing his story and how God was working in his life. Meanwhile, as he shared his mother, going in the opposite direction and further and further away from the Lord. Next, we'll hear how Chris meets his future wife and the miraculous way they returned to Australia from the Philippines. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're back with more of Chris Brown sharing his life journey. As we heard before the break, the Lord called Chris to be a missionary. Now, here's more of his chat with Eric Scatterbo. You eventually went to the Philippines where you met your future wife? Yeah, so I joined Youth with a Mission Mm -hmm. and we uh, had what we call a discipleship training school. And it was during that time that I met my wife on the base in uh, the Philippines and we had a quite a brief uh, engagement. That might be a story for another day. But yeah, after one month, we were engaged. And, oh wow! Uh, one month. Yeah, it was yeah. But it is a bit of a story. So I know we've got a lot to get through today. But yeah, it was uh, we knew it was right, and we we made that decision. And so I went off to Thailand for two months just after we got engaged. Did my outreach there, and then I came back. And I uh, spent four months with her family, mm-hmm. uh, getting to know her family, asking for a hand in marriage from her father, and doing mission work in the community there. Remember getting very sick with typhoid, and at that point, uh, God actually really spoke to us very clearly that He wanted us to to come back to Australia. And I was very ill, uh, very sick, and uh, we had no money. And God said, it's time for you to go home. And so this journey of uh, faith, great faith that God taught me about began at that moment. It was really a big step for us to trust him. Yeah, I understand there's a story involving the airport that uh, the two of you went through. Yeah, so I was so ill and we had no money. And uh, we what we had was $50 left and that was to pay for the sewing of her wedding dress. And it was either have a, a husband and no wedding dress or have no husband and have the wedding dress. So we figured <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll use this last $50 and we'll buy some antibiotics and go to the hospital. And yeah, so anyway, we had a lot of people praying back home. And after two weeks, I, I came good, but we, we had no money to pay for the wedding dress, no money to get on a bus, no money to get back to Manila. And we didn't have the money for an airline ticket. So you know, we, we had literally about 20 cents in our pocket Wow! and we, we packed our bags. We, we walked around the town saying goodbye to everyone, saying we're leaving this afternoon and we didn't even have money for the bus fare. 
and uh, we were literally uh, there with our bags packed. But as we went around, the people that we'd ministered to, um, you know, we didn't ask them. They were just poor farmers, you know, keeping in mind this is the Philippines. They weren't, it was not a rich country. Mm-hmm. They just began to give us money to bless us as we left. And uh, when we got to the end of that day, we had enough money for the bus and for a boat fare to get to Manila. Wow. And so we, we got to Manila <laughs> with that. And then, of course, when we got to Manila, I still didn't have a visa for my wife. I still didn't have an airline ticket for her. And my own visa was running out mm-hmm. in about 10 days' time. So this was really, God, you either show up or we're not getting married and I'm going to have to leave the country. Oh, wow, yeah. And so we we walked into the bank and, uh, you know, to see if there was any money in the account. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bank said, oh, by the way, Mr. Brown, um, about six months ago, we took $500 from your account, which we shouldn't have. Here it is. Oh, wow. So they <laughs> literally oh, wow. handed me over the $500, which was enough for her airline ticket. Then we went to the uh, embassy, keeping in mind we're walking everywhere in yeah. the hot sun because we don't even have the money for any public transport. Mm-hmm. And we get into the, the embassy. Uh, I say to the, the person there, look, we've been waiting four months for her visa. Uh, what's happening? And they said, well, we haven't received a letter from the Philippine government to say she's not married and you're applying for a fiancé visa and we need evidence that she's not married. And I said, look, surely there must be someone we can talk to about this because my visa is running out in just a few days' time. So she said, well, look, let me go and get someone for you. So we were there praying in the middle of the, <laughs> the embassy and we didn't mind that we were praying loud. You know? <laughs> we needed God and we needed him right there. And, yeah. and so everyone was looking at us in this embassy and we're praying. And five minutes later, she comes back with the, the higher-up person and they said, if she'll sign a statutory declaration that she's not married, we'll give you the visa. Oh, okay. So um, we we signed the stat deck and one minute later they came out with the passport with the visa in it. Wow. I couldn't believe it. You know, right there and then there was the visa. Wow. And then we had to go and buy the ticket. So I think we had till 3 o'clock this afternoon to get the ticket and it was 2.50 when we arrived. We bought the ticket and then we had a few days left till we were going to get on the plane. We had no money left. Um, I mean, literally no money left. I think we had $12 left. And the departure tax at the airport was $25 oh, for the no. two of us. And I, re- I remember being given a lift to the airport with a rich Chinese friend of mine. And I thought, God, surely she's going to bless us. She's going to give us some money. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I remember quite clearly God speaking to me and saying, don't you dare say anything. Hmm. And I said, okay, I'll be quiet. And she didn't give anything. I huh. said, God, I didn't say anything. And she didn't give anything. What's going on? <laughs> And he said, are you willing to trust me? Okay, God. So we get into the airport and you know what you do first at the airport, you you put your heavy luggage on the plane. So we we check our luggage on the plane knowing that we didn't have the money to actually get through the departure tax section of the airport. Oh, wow. And uh, so the luggage is going even if we aren't. Yeah. And so we lined up. There was about eight queues there and there were thousands of people trying to get through those queues. We couldn't even see... The, the, the ticket booth, you know, where you pay for this tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just picked a line, you know, it was a bit of a pick the shortest line. Mm-hmm. And we, we got to the, the end of the queue and the person working at the desk is a friend of my wife's 
well, oh. my fiance from oh. university. Yeah. She hasn't seen him for years. And, you know, they have this discussion and they're all excited. And then he says, oh, you have to pay for your departure tax. Yeah. And she said, Kuya, which is means older brother in, in Filipino, we only have this. And she showed him what we had. And he opened his wallet and paid the rest, oh, which was probably goodness. about a week's salary for him. Oh, my And, uh, yeah, so right there at the very last moment, when they're calling out our names over the intercom that we uh, need to get to our plane, he's paying for our departure tax. Wow. And so we ran for the plane. Um, we got on board. We landed in Brunei. I mean, I'd had no opportunity to call my, well, I tried to call my friends in Brunei. We were supposed to stay with them six days. We literally didn't even have money to make a phone call. And so I asked around, look, can you give me money to make a phone call? Someone gave us a $10 phone card. It was 11 o'clock at night. We rang the house, no answer. Mm. They kicked us out of the airport. We're sitting in the, the just under a kind of patio outside the airport oh, all night, wow. you know, oh, wow. all night with our luggage. We couldn't sleep. And uh, the next morning I start calling around. I called the office and they said, they are in Kuala Lumpur for the Chinese New Year. They won't be back for days. Oh, no. <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. You know, what are we going to do? So I just kept calling the house. We had a phone card. That's what we had. So we kept calling in 11 o'clock that morning. So we've been at the airport 12 hours. Someone picks up the phone and it was her father. He'd come back from Kuala Lumpur because he'd been unwell. He picks up the phone, takes us to his house and he rings them. They come back straight away from KL. We spend six days with them, have a beautiful time. We arrive in Perth. Four months later, we get married. Keep in mind, we had no money at all. God paid for the entire thing. Wow. I think $2,000 just appeared in our bank account, just appeared there and paid for her parents' uh, airfares to come to Perth for the wedding. So, you know, th this journey of faith and, and I learned some very big lessons in faith right there at that time, which I would never forget for the rest of my life. Well, I don't think I'll ever forget this story for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's quite a story. Yeah. Well, we had the opportunity to um, see God come through in many ways and many times over the years. And then moving on to the next major event in your life, you moved back to Perth? Yeah. So we, we moved back, we got married, and we were, you know, still feeling this call to missions. But in the meantime, I had a wife and, you know, I had to make ends meet. So I went and got a, a job with my old employer. Mm -hmm. And I began a, a career there, uh, which lasted almost 20 years. But this section of that career was 14 years where I, I started off as a storeman and worked my way up to state manager within the, a big German company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a very successful career. And um, during that period, we kept pursuing mission. We kept trying to find a way to, to get over into mission. And it never, ever seemed to work out. And I, at that time, we also started a, a, a photography business and mm -hmm. that became quite successful. We were nominated three times to Australia's top wedding photographer and oh, wow. Capture magazine. And mm -hmm. that was going really well. So I, I, I rang up the boss and I said, look, I... I think I need to go part-time because, um, you know, the, the, the photography is going so well. And he said, uh, Chris, I don't care what hours you work because you're doing such a good job. You just show up when you want to show up. And as long as you're getting the job done, I'll keep paying you what you're earning. Wow. So that was just an amazing offer wow. from him. Yeah, you don't hear that every day. No, no. So for a year, I tried to make that work and... And it, it, it just got too crazy. So I thought, no, nah, I just, 
I can't do this. It really is a full-time position. And I, I do believe that God's calling me into ministry and that that call has never left. And so it was about this time that I had an offer uh, or, or an opportunity to, to work for a mission agency and, and we applied for the position and it was three days a week. And I thought this will be perfect. It's the milk and honey. I'm, I'm going to be supporting missionaries in the field. I'm going to be talking to churches about them mm-hmm. going. And and uh, my wife just couldn't get a piece about it. And uh, I struggled with this because I thought it was really the the answer for our, our, our situation. And mm-hmm. And so they, they actually rang me to offer me the position. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say no uh, because my wife doesn't have a piece about it. So we let that go. And just a couple of months later, I got an offer from the church we were attending, a, a very large uh, Pentecostal church in, in Perth, uh, if I'd like to come on staff. And I saw the wisdom of God in all of that. And I thank God again for my wife who you know, stuck to her conviction. And uh, if we had taken that other position, I wouldn't have been able to accept the role at the church. And this is where our mission journey really began because they offered me uh, the, the, the description, I guess, for the ministry as the missions pastor there at the church, as well as looking after their international movement. And so my job was to go all around the world talking to people about Jesus, growing the movement, and basically bringing Jesus wherever I went. And it was fantastic, but it meant yeah, that yeah, I had I, to leave I just want to stop you there because let's not overlook the fact that you turned down a job that you wanted based on your wife not having a piece. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that was, well, A, you're honoring her, but B, you're honoring faith that if you don't both have a piece as a couple— that's not a good thing to do. And you were blessed by obeying that. Yeah, yeah, because I, I realized that had to be hard. When I look back at it. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was hard leaving. I mean, I was coming up for my 15 years annual long service leave. Yeah, yeah. The, the company was going to have their 250th anniversary and uh, we were all going to go to Germany and have a big party. And so, you know, we were turning all that down by leaving the company, which mm-hmm. was fine. We did that. And then, yeah, also turning down this opportunity, which for me was really what I wanted to do, was a big challenge for me personally. But, you know, I, I thank God that over our marriage, I've learned to trust my wife's intuition and mm-hmm. to listen to her and mm-hmm. and to understand that there's a reason why God puts you with someone and it's not for you to be the Lord and master, it's for you to work as a team. That was part one of Eric Scadabo's conversation with Chris Brown in Perth, sharing how God was working in his life. As we've been hearing, it's quite obvious that Chris was on fire for the Lord and striving to follow God's will for his life. As it says in the Bible, Jesus prefers if we are either hot or cold. Those who are spiritually hot are engaged in their faith, like Chris was. But those who are cold have an opportunity to be influenced in a powerful way by the gospel. From Jesus' perspective, it's actually better to be spiritually cold, since that means you're more likely to notice the calling of God. As we'll hear on future programs, that's exactly what happens to Chris's mother. She was pretty cold towards the things of the Lord in Chris's young adult years, but we'll hear how she becomes on fire for the Lord with amazing results. That's all coming up as this series continues. So until next time, when we'll hear more of Chris Brown's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story 
with someone today. Next time on The Story. I had the opportunity to travel to Ethiopia and I remember landing in that hometown and we walked into this this huge meeting. There were 5,000 people there and we were supposed to be speaking on the platform. And we, we walked in and, and the translator starts telling us, they're not happy. And so we thought, what's going on here? We've arrived and already we're not welcome. Even though Chris Brown came from a broken home and his mother kind of went off the rails when he was a teenager, he was eventually called into full-time ministry and his faith has become stronger and stronger. Chris will share some of his incredible stories of doing ministry overseas next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 